0: One to seven, the parable, the, the parable of the Lost Sheep. Now the tax collector and the sinner were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes the and eats with them." This parable, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Doesn't he leave 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and when he finds it he joyful puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over us Sin over one sinner who repents that over ninety nine righteous persons who do not need to repent.
1: We are reading from Luke nineteen, verses ten to one. One to to ten. Either way I can read backwards or forwards. <laughs> Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He went he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man he could not because of the crowd because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamorphic tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Thank
2: you. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 17, 11 to 19. Ten healed of leprosy. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this one foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well.
3: I'll be reading from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, called Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the crowd, are people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering.
4: This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We're going to have a video from uh, Liza, I believe. No, not from Liza. From Sally. Is Liza next week? There we go. (laughs) What does it look like to cross the street for you? To step out, to build bridges and to meet people where they are. We read in John's Gospel that when Jesus was on his way to Galilee, he stopped by a well in Samaria and met a woman who had come to collect water on her own. We learn that this woman is possibly despised, an outcast in her own community. Jesus shows her that he knows who she is. And he offers her living water, the Holy Spirit, who brings love, grace, and mercy. I've now entered my sixth year here in Mozambique. In Masanguli, we are seeking to show the people around us love, grace, and mercy. In our everyday, this includes joining our Yao friends in their daily activities, their celebrations, and their griefs. We are invited into those spaces as relationships grow. And so our attention to learning culture and the heart language of our friends is important in this. Recently, we were walking in the village and a lady welcomed us into her yard. She was eating her lunch and she invited us to join her. As we chatted and ate together, we learned that she is the sharehair's wife and that she is related to some other Yao friends who we're currently journeying with. She was so happy to share with us parts of her life and asked us to keep visiting her. So each time we walk into that village, we visit her and we sit with her. Sometimes just learning more about one another and other times swapping stories about what we believe and who we believe in. We have sensed a real peace from her and are so thankful that this random encounter has led to genuine friendship where we have the opportunity to show the love of Christ that we're experiencing with her. When the Samaritan woman in John's Gospel met Jesus, she didn't just keep this interaction to herself, she ran back to her village and she told them what had happened. The Samaritans came to Jesus and many experienced his love firsthand, believing that he is the savior of this world and choosing to follow him. This is our hope for our Yao friends. Just as we have experienced Jesus' love, we seek to show that love to those around us. It means we have to cross the street. We learn to sit with people and share in life here. Please pray with us for our friends who we do life with every day. As we seek to be a kingdom presence offering love, grace and mercy, may our friends be transformed and choose to seek after the one who offers us living water. Thank you so much for joining us in this, for your support, your generosity and your prayers. And as you cross the street, step out and meet people where they are, Know that God has chosen you to be a part of His plan to transform lives around you. Maybe crossing the street means going to the neighbour next door. It could be your work, a community group. Or perhaps maybe God is asking you to cross the street a little further than home. To be His kingdom presence in a place people don't yet know His name. Wherever God is leading you, May he encourage and bless you as you live alongside those around you with the hope of Jesus. It's good. Rachel's going to come up um, both within her role um, as Baptist Mission Australia, but also as a, a great person from amongst our community. Um, I might pray um, for Rachel. Dear Lord, thank you so much for Baptist Mission Australia in this Um, series that we're doing in crossing the street i pray that your holy spirit will be in rachel's preparation and in her words as she comes to deliver what you've prepared may your holy spirit lead her amen
2: amen
5: uh, oh, loud. Um, thanks for having me here this morning. It's great to be here uh, and to join this community. Uh, I'm Rachel. I'm Baptist Mission Australia's National Next Gen Specialist. Uh, no, of course, I can be less formal with you guys. You're my church family. So yeah, that is all true. But um, I'm here as a part of my role, but also because I love this community and I'm a part of it. Um, Today, strap yourselves in because we read about five Bible passages and we're going to do an exegetical blow-by-blow of each of them. We'll be here till about three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm really glad you've joined us. Uh, No, no. (laughs) Uh, This week we are, as Sally said, we're looking at crossing the street, at meeting people where they're at and building uh, bridges. But before we jump into this week and we think about uh, how we do that, we're going to take a look at what was said last week. So Nick opened our uh, service series on crossing the street by introducing us last week to uh, Peter uh, in Acts chapter 8 about his story about how when he was fleeing persecution out of Jerusalem... As he was fleeing, he runs into an Ethiopian official. Uh, And we realised sort of three things from this story. First is that there is no corner of the world where God is not working to bring about his mission. I think sometimes we think, you know, we go somewhere, there's nothing there, and I have to kind of crack open my heart and show the light. But actually what we saw is that no one was around the Ethiopian and what was happening? The Ethiopian, through the power of the Spirit working in his life, he was already opened to Isaiah. The Spirit can move and he is working out his purposes, but we're invited to enter in. Second, if this is true, that God is actually already at work in our world, calling people to himself, then what we need to do is to pay attention to what God is doing in each situation. You know, this was the most unlikely man, a foreigner, ethnic, cultural, economic and political differences, yet this didn't stop God from being at work in his life. What Philip had to do was be open to this looking completely different to what he thought and then drawing near. Third, we realised that he didn't do it on his own, that he's empowered by the Spirit uh, to act and that just like Jesus, God is with him uh, so long as he's keeping in step with him. So this brings us uh, to this week. Uh, what happens when we see an opportunity now? So we're like, Philip, I know about you, but I've never like entered a cafe. Someone's had their Bible out who doesn't know God and has asked me to interpret the Bible with them. Has that happened to anyone here? Not. No, okay. So... This, this, Philip's encounter is not necessarily standard for us, is it? It's never happened to me. It might have never happened to you. But what do we do when we see an opportunity in everyday life, when we are listening to the Spirit and there is an opportunity to connect with someone or to share or to... Speak. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the first things I do is panic. Uh, It has been um, so. Don't. That's not what we're going to focus on today. Not panicking. Um, But what do we do? Well, I want to share with you a story that happened to me literally six weeks ago, um, just at the end of uh, in term one at school. Uh, So I have joined the canteen roster at Nan. Uh, This is a pretty big commitment for me. It's like like 9am to 1pm, a couple of times a term. It's with people that I don't know. (laughs) I have social anxiety. I take medication for it. So going and being in a room with one or two other people for multiple hours at a time who I don't know is very anxiety-inducing for me. Um, But... I wanted to connect with the school and serve the school. And so this was a really good way to do it. So I rock up to my shift uh, and I start talking to the other mum and we're cooking and, you know, we're an hour or so in and she asked me what I do for work. So I give her my Christian, non-Christian spiel of my job, which is I work with nationally with kids, youth and young adults in helping them understand how to Uh, love others like God loves them overseas. And that's largely a lot through development work. So through engaging and helping uh, heal people and connect people uh, and show them God's love. Uh, And she was like, oh, wow, so you're a Christian. Awesome. I've always wanted to ask a Christian, what's the deal with all this gay stuff? (laughs) Now, remember the last slide, it was was, don't panic. Okay, so I'm trying to remember, like, no, Rachel, like, we're not panicking, Uh, but what would you do and what would you say? It's literally happened to me in the last few months. Uh, What do you do with all this gay stuff? What would you have done? Well, before I tell you what I did, and you can judge me right or wrong, uh, I want to have a look at what Jesus did when he encountered people. This week, we're going to look at how Jesus joined with God in his mission of restoring all things to himself and bringing about his kingdom here. And as we do, I want you to keep this in mind. Did Jesus build and reinforce fences or did he build bridges? Now, we read out multiple texts, but we're just going to look at three today. But you can have those other ones that we heard. In time. And it's a surprise. You don't know which ones I'm going to talk about. Keeping the mystery. Uh, so... I I do know, Ollie, thanks, yeah. Oh, my iPad, you're right, I'm super sneaky. I know, no one else does though. Sneaky mystery. So the first one is Jesus meets the 10 lepers, right? He's walking in, he's heading to Jerusalem, he's busy, he's heading there and then all of a sudden he's interrupted his day by 10 people screaming at him, master, have pity on us. Jesus looks at them and he does, and he says, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they're walking back, they realize that they've been healed. And so one of them, actually the most unlikely one, the Samaritan, okay, we know from the Samaritans, right, that they are ethnically uh, very much segregated. They're looked down upon, they're dirty, they're also religiously, like they're not great. But It's this one, the lowest of the low, who actually comes back and re-engages with Jesus and praises God, right? So what do we do with this? In this moment, did Jesus build fences or bridges? So when we think about fences, we think about establishing and reinforcing the things that are different from us. The invitation for us when we build fences is for people to enter through a gate and to come and engage with me where I feel comfortable, where I feel safe on my terms. So is that what Jesus did here? Well, there are risks here. Health, right? Legitimate health. We live in a COVID pandemic. Getting too close to someone with leprosy, even though it says they stood at a distance, hanging around and being seen to hang around and engage could have potentially caused health risks for Jesus. Right? Any extra time more than needed to be around someone with leprosy was a dangerous thing to do. There's also religious issues. If he stood too close or people saw him cavorting with people, it'd be like he was unclean. He was not worthy and able to then engage in the religious order. There's also ethic. Not all of them were part of God's family. One of them, at least one of them, was a Samaritan. There were barriers here for engagement Jesus also didn't know how they would respond. Actually, at no point before he heals them does he demand behavior change. So what does Jesus do? Well, actually, he didn't let any of those things stop him, did he? He built bridges. He actually showed compassion. He healed them without actually demanding any behavior change at all. Jesus did not limit his response based on who they were Or who would come back into relationship? And I want to say probably Jesus knew he's God. He probably had some inkling of how many would come back. But he didn't let that limit the love and the grace and the compassion he showed. Jesus also responded to their felt need. They cried out, God, have mercy on me. But he didn't say, actually, I think we need to resolve the issue with you and your sister. Uh, That's probably a bigger deal for me, um, actually, in how you're dealing with this. No, he responded to the cry of their heart, the thing that was impacting and limiting them that they felt they couldn't do anything about. It was out of that that Jesus responded to. And then he showed incredible love as he didn't let the possible stigma or judgment of others around him impact how he cared. All right, well, let's take another one. Jesus and Zacchaeus, right? This is a very well-known story. If you love lost sheep resources, Zach the tax man. Uh, Jesus is again, uh, he's entering Jericho, he's passing through a town and a whole crowd of people. He would have had types of people offering to engage with him and invite him for dinner, like really cool people, like awesome people to hang out with, really fun people to hang out with, easy people that he could have, you know, if I'm thinking about it, people would have loved to play board games with, people want to have, they want to have maybe, I love the Prancing Pony, maybe they have a beer with me, like really chew it out, like let's just go and engage. Jesus had those options, right? And, and the religious options, right? The pastor, you know, the, there are people around him, the pastor, the pastor's wife probably offered, invited Nick And Amanda probably invited him in. He had options for comfortable, easy, but what does he do? He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in a tree, an embezzler, someone who's actively rotting the community out of funds. Increasing disadvantage. This guy who's actively like not connect, he's a Jew, but he's actively like connecting with the Romans to make life more horrible for the people around him. And he looks up and he says, no, I want to come to your house for dinner. And even though the community around him says, no, 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 don't. This is bad. What do we see as the end result of that interaction of engaging in hospitality? Is that Zacchaeus has changed. He's changed by the conversation. We don't know what it would have been over dinner. You know, the conversation and the interaction and the honoring. So did Jesus build fences? Well, there were heaps of fences here. There were social Fences, for Zacchaeus he was actively wealthy and an unjust thief and he did not deserve Jesus' attention if this person was on current affair all of us would be there being like yes go to jail like no like do you know what I mean when we hear about people embezzling we're like yelling at the screen like go to jail like no we don't like that is wrong you should not be practicing injustice But that's not what we see Jesus doing. There were religious. He was a sinner. He was openly disrespecting God and his people. He wasn't honoring the widow or the wives or taking care of his community. Also, reputation. People were actively being like, Jesus, this is going to be an issue for you if you continue to do this. And Jesus didn't care. He did it anyway. He could have lent into comfort. He had options, really good options probably, to connect and to chat for easy, delicious food. Uh, but he didn't. Jesus didn't lean in or reinforce the potential fences there. He broke them down and he built bridges. He suspended his judgment. He built relationship with Zacchaeus anyway. More than that, he honoured He probably could have just had a chat on the side of the street with Zacchaeus, but he chose to go, to be at his house, to engage and to sit. It's an incredible honour for for Zacchaeus. He leant into the discomfort of not knowing how that would go, of it probably being awkward for his disciples who were like, no, this is, stop. It's a bad call. It's not going to end well. Right? The discomfort of, you know, he probably really was tired and just really wanted to go and play board games. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, he could have done, he could have taken the easy option of the people who were, like, deeply involved and connected to him and wanted to engage with him. It's not a bad option. He could have lent into the comfort, but he didn't. He lent into discomfort. And out of it, we see that Zacchaeus is changed by the conversation that Jesus had, by the incredible act of love and honouring. All right, final one we're going to look at, but have those other ones that we also talked about uh, and read out before. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. This passage is massive and there's so much going on here. The Samaritan woman, normally women went to the well at the beginning of the day. She's coming in the middle of the day, separated from her community, ostracised. They are social. there are religious. there are ethnic there are gender barriers here to this conversation there's also power dynamics that god is lord of all and yet he is engaging he should have engaged from a place of power but what do we see the very first thing he says is not engaging and deliberately following these fences he builds them down he says can i have a drink in those days, wells were low to the ground. They didn't have walls. So he's literally sitting on the ground, big open, and they didn't have buckets. So he could not get the water. The water was there. He couldn't get it. And so he's vulnerable. He is thirsty. And what does he do? He asks the least person for a drink from a dirty Samaritan woman's cup. He asks from a place of vulnerability. If, he doesn't, if she doesn't help him, he will remain thirsty and tired, exhausted, have dehydration. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff here, but he breaks it down. He shouldn't be talking to a woman actually alone at all. He probably should have gotten up and like walked away (laughs) and allowed her so that there was no potential of impropriety at all. But he doesn't, he engages with her. There are ethnic issues here. The Samaritans are dodgy, untrustworthy. You know, that's why the story of the good Samaritan is so... Intense, right? All the religious people who should have been on board with Jesus' mission weren't. It's a Samaritan, the least likely person who shows love and kindness. They weren't pasted in a good light. And yet Jesus engages and doesn't hold that stigma or judgment against her. And then there's social and cultural. She's got many wives. This woman is of ill repute. She's gone through husband after husband or maybe husband after husband has gone through her. And she's been discarded. We don't know, but there's for some reason she's had multiple husbands and she's exiled from a community. That's why she's there in the middle of the day. But Jesus chooses to build bridges. He chooses to answer the questions that he's asking. He doesn't begin with, Woman, I know you've had multiple husbands. What are you doing? Get your life right. He begins with where they're talking. Does he get to the husband's Sure. Is it the first thing he says? No. He engages out of vulnerability and humility. And he slowly, as she is talking and as they're working, works through and engages and meets the needs and desires of her. He hasn't let the potential stigma or what others would say stop him from reaching out and crossing the street. Jesus could have required people to come to him, safe and secure in his fence. He is the king of all of creation. He is absolutely lord of all. Jesus could have sat in the temple in Jerusalem and demanded people come and sit and engage with him on his terms where he felt comfortable. Absolutely, he could have done that. He had absolutely every single right to be in comfort and opulence every day because he is the creator of all things. And that wouldn't be wrong or indulgent as God of the world. He could have enjoyed safety and enjoyed the social and religious rules that gave him privilege. He could have remained comfortable. He could have avoided stigma and judgment and shame. He could have upheld the existing gender rules which privileged him. He could have engaged from a place of power. And he could have showed only love and restoration to those he knew would take it up. However, the incarnation, the coming of Jesus to earth is actually the complete opposite of that, isn't it? He deliberately went out of his way to break down any and all barriers that he could to engage and to offer restoration and healing to all. Jesus demonstrated the most radical act of love and highlighted the lengths he would go to to see everyone join back with God's family. Jesus' ministry and life, we see him breaking down barriers and building bridges by showing incredible love, by answering the questions people are asking, by meeting their felt needs, by leaning into discomfort, by not caring about the judgment and the stigma and the shame that would come along with those actions, by showing compassion and empathy, by building relationships to everyone who wanted it, by treating everyone as made in the image of God, and by engaging from a place of vulnerability and generosity. So given all this, what does it look like for me to build bridges in that conversation? There were a heck of a lot of fences for me, I can tell you. Terrified of what she would say. Terrified the school would have something to say about any opinion I shared, uh, that I would be seen as being really judgmental or horrifying, scared that I wouldn't say enough, worried that I would have a really bad reputation at school as someone who was like Bible bashing. There were a whole bunch of reasons for me to want to just lean into comfort. On top of that, I had a migraine brewing and I was not really prepared (laughs) for this conversation. Unfortunately, what I didn't say was I was super angry at God for the fact that I had to go in for this today. And I said, hey God, you better use it today mistake. Never play those prayers. They are dangerous. Right? Flippantly to God, you better use this time because all I want to do is at home and take my immigrant. So what did I do? Well, I asked her a question first. What do you mean when you say all the gay stuff? And her answer was, it's just so much judgment and hate. Right, so this gave me an understanding of what, what angle she was coming from and why this issue was important to her. So, from what I knew, I did uh, a couple of things. One was I shared a teaching of Jesus, and then two, I told a story of Jesus. So I said, well, actually, Jesus talked a lot about judgment and hate, and he, this Sermon on the Mount where he's talking to a whole group of people, he says... You should take the log out of your own eye before you reach and take the speck out of someone else's. I think that this is really key, right? Because actually my job isn't to judge anyone else for how they're living. My job is to call people into deeper relationship with Jesus and to know more of who he is. And, you know, we actually see Jesus doing this, right? Um, There's this really amazing story of uh, these people bringing uh, this woman before them ready to be stoned because she's caught in adultery, And, you know, technically they had every right to do it, but they also forgot to bring the man, which is also an issue here. But uh, Jesus could have condemned her. She was in the wrong, but uh, that's not what he did. He said he got on the ground and he drew a line in the sand and he said, let anyone who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. Off we go. And slowly all the men who would stand to accuse her, they walk away. And this is really powerful because it makes me think, you know, when I'm so ready to throw stones at someone else, actually there are so many things in my own life that I have to get right that when I'm judging this other person in front of me for whatever choices they're making, actually God has so much work to do in me. So actually my job as a Christian is to love others. And that's what Jesus did. He said to the woman afterwards, he said, uh, So who is here to condemn you? they would all left. And she says, no one. And he said, well, neither do I. Now, you might think I didn't go far enough. I didn't actually give her my opinion on what I think. But what I will tell you is that by highlighting my own vulnerability that I have heaps to work on, that by telling a story of Jesus and his teaching... Uh, and by admitting the truth that actually it's really not my job to judge, and actually it saddens me that that's how people see us, as people of judgment and hatred rather than love, that that opened up a two-hour-long conversation about faith and life and her own journey. So how do you think I did? (laughs) Maybe I was too soft, maybe I didn't say enough, Maybe you think I should have held some fences. Does she accept Jesus on the spot? No. (laughs) But what I can say is that we now have a friendship that is an open door and a bridge that I can walk over again. Most of the time we get a second and a third and a thirtieth bite of the apple. What God requires us to do is to pay attention in the moment to go with his leading. But building bridges is scary. I was terrified in that conversation that I would say or do something wrong. Either not representing God or not represent or going too far and saying things outside the boundaries. But it's worth it, right? (laughs) Building bridges is tricky and we will make mistakes. It is me, isn't it? Yeah, given a... I don't know what I'm doing, face. <laughs> but when I look at Jesus, what I see is him continuously prioritizing calling people to himself and in turn the Father, that all people might be reconciled. And so my encouragement to us is as a community is to think about what are the ways we can be removing Not that we never get to hard conversations. We saw that in the woman at the well, right? But that at first we might seek to build bridges and seek places of connection, spaces of sameness, spaces of humility, that people might, we might get a second, third and fourth bite of the apple. That it's the ongoing picture of who God is and those ongoing conversations about how our life raises questions and then how we answer those that make up a complete picture and show people the incredible God that we serve. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, I want to thank you uh, for this community that we would be a community who builds bridges. God, that is scary and I have been terrified many a time. And God, I don't always get it right. I may not have gotten it right here, because what you require of us is to be faithful, to keep uh, trying and to keep pointing people to you through your spirit, Lord. We don't do it alone, but to keep pointing people to you. Uh, God, I pray that as we think about our mission as a church, you would help us to be thinking about what barriers can we remove that people can just see you, that they might then be able to fall in love with you. Uh, Lord, that people would be able to look at us and praise our good works, but that also those good works would raise questions (laughs) that we can then answer as truthfully and honestly as we can. God, with love and humility, that more and more people might be reconciled to you. Praise you and thank you for these things in your name. Amen.